The views and opinions that are expressed in this and future podcasts are not the views coming out of the State Office of African American Affairs and are not the views coming out of any other state agency, including the governor's office. I'm Danny Golden. And I'm Devin Williams. And this is Re-Educated, a podcast brought to you by the New Mexico State Office of African American Affairs. The purpose of the podcast is to educate the community on environmental, social, and physical inequities and challenges that Black communities must deal with and what can be done to empower the Black community to help them navigate through the understanding of legislation and policy on a micro and macro level. I love our theme song. Don't you love our theme song? It's beautiful. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Big shout out to M. Scott Loves Life. That's original music by him. You can go check him out on all major platforms. Love to see our Black people doing amazing things, making amazing art. We got to support each other always. Definitely. Yes. So welcome to this new episode of Reeducated, <laughs> a podcast where we're going to rethink, relearn, and get reeducated on many topics pertaining to our Black community here in the state of New Mexico. And today we're talking about disparities in employment, in Black employment in New Mexico. So uh, we're going to have a guest on today that is a powerhouse, to say the least, and truly somebody that is worth elevating on this platform of Black excellence. So we'll get to that later. But uh, Devin, you want to kind of yeah, get okay. us into it? <laughs> you can't see my motion, but it was a diving motion. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry, I saw it. You got it. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> but yeah, so um, one of the things before we really get into it, I just wanted to highlight how the state has done a great job in recent time getting Black people in positions of leadership. And so among these Black people, we have Dr. Tracy Collins, who was the dean of UNM's College of Population Health, and she has been appointed as the new head of the Department of Health. We have Mm -hmm. Sonia Smith, who was appointed as the head of the Department of Veteran Services at the state of New Mexico. And then we also have two other individuals, uh, one named Shamara Henderson, New Mexico's first Black Court of Appeals judge. Hey. Congratulations. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yes. And then we have Harold Pope, state senator of District 23. All right. And Look so, at us. Yeah, we're, we're, moving, us. we're moving along. <laughs> I love that we can open this episode with some amazing people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Highlighting people that are really paving the way and some positivity. There's a lot of darkness in in the world right now. So it's always nice to open on the up and up. Yeah, no, I (laughs) definitely agree. And just to see that, especially during these times where we're having increases in COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, all these different spikes, we have things uh, that we're dealing with in regards to the climate of not only the nation, but the state in particular. And so mm-hmm. just seeing pockets of Black excellence and to see these individuals, like you say, pave the way for us, it's just, it definitely helps me as an individual get through and really see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. Oh, yeah. Always. Mm-hmm. Like, we're we're our own silver lining, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's, that's awesome. But um, yeah, when you look at Black employment in particular, there's been a long-standing history of Black people not being in these positions of leadership. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had to fight and claw our way out of slavery, out of laws that oppress us just to go into the white man's crawl. And so we're having to fly, we're having to soar, we're having to do all these different things. And we're finally beginning to see a shift in representation of Black people in leadership positions. Yeah, especially, I mean, all of those names that you just listed, you mm-hmm. know, here in the state of New Mexico, I think with the climate of everything that's going on, there really has begun to be this acceptance of like, this is the new status quo. Mm-hmm. We have these people that are not only just worth not killing and not, yeah. you know, stomping all over. They're actually pretty great. They're pretty talented and they bring a plethora of different skills and knowledge and, you know, good things to the workplace. So I I like it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And I think specifically for New Mexico, we're starting to shift the rhetoric from a tricultural state to a multicultural state. Mm -hmm. And that's in part due to the ample amount of advocacy, not only for our own people, but for all of our allies out there who are, understanding that we have a human rights issue where there's a certain group of humans Mm -hmm. that aren't being properly represented. Absolutely. And so with the change of that rhetoric, we're starting to get more visibility. We're also starting to have um, less misrepresentation Mm -hmm. of Black people in the media. And so, you know, we're still dealing with, oh, Black people can only be athletes, Black people can only be criminals, Black people can only be artists, but to have these individuals, specifically with New Mexico being highlighted, now you have Black people who can be the head of a Department of Health or the head of Veteran Services or being a leader of a hospital. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so we're definitely starting to shift that language and just really shifting the image of Black people specifically in the workplace. Yeah, from a from a macro level down to a micro level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where once you have this population of people that's like insignificant or treated as such, mm-hmm. right? Because we're so small. Yeah. Now they're starting to look around them and say, oh, we have these people that are fighting for justice across the nation. They're seeing it on major news headlines, NBC, mm-hmm. CNN, that the civil rights movement's going on and like, hey, we should we should look around us and see that there's there's black people in the state of New Mexico mm-hmm. that um, are amazing, talented, smart, educated, you know, and, and therein we see the rise to those positions. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And um, before we go to the next thing, we definitely need for our current black leaders who have had a more tenure track in these positions mm-hmm. to start that succession planning because... We're losing a lot of young, bright individuals just because there's no succession plan, just because there's no mentorship or we need more opportunities for mentorship to have more retention and retain these young, bright people that are coming out of the University of New Mexico, NMSU, Highlands, Eastern, coming out of CNM, all these different colleges, community colleges and universities. I think it's interesting too. trying like that was already something we wanted to strive for. Right. The mm-hmm. 
you know, older generations reaching to the youth to uplift them. And like you said, have that succession there. But now we're also dealing with the challenges of a pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know, so it it was once already hard to like make that connection. And now we're seeing that that challenge touch every part of our lives. So. Yeah, no, it's an interesting tidbit. It definitely is. And I completely understand the presence of this pandemic. Yeah. Uh delaying a lot of different things that are very relevant to the black community, specifically yeah. with black youth that aspire to be in these leadership positions. And so yeah. as we continue to navigate this pandemic mm-hmm. and to continue to stay safe and utilize yeah. COVID safe practices. We need to continue to start breaking those barriers and really connecting not only the older generation and connecting to youth, but the youth being able to listen and being able (laughs) to connect with the older generation. So it's definitely... You know how us young folks are. Oh, (laughs) yeah. We know everything. you know. (laughs) We know everything about everything. (laughs) We don't. But yeah, Yeah. no, that's a really good point that Mm -hmm. we have. It has to work both ways. They have to, you know, reach to us and and we to them, you know. So I love it. But going into that, we also need to not only look at leadership and other positions, but also really have more support and more um, visibility for our Black entrepreneurs, and specifically Mm. in Black businesses. Oh, yeah. Just because a lot of Black businesses out here aren't necessarily represented in the right way and don't necessarily feel the support that they would need. And, you know, a lot of that is in part due to the lack of representation Mm -hmm. when it comes to entrepreneurship and um, support systems and the allocation of resources mm-hmm. towards black businesses because, you know, technically you do have resources that are out there for yeah. everybody, but there has... Are they accessible to exact, certain people though, you know? Exactly. And it's, there's, and we can, we can go into the data, but there's been a long history of black people specifically when it comes to loans and partnership where they've been discriminated against. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Wells Fargo had to pay out what it was upward. It was a million. It was a Mm -hmm. a ridiculous amount of money, but still couldn't even make up for the fact that, I mean, they were, they had names for these loans, the ghetto loans and, and all like, Mm. yeah, it, it was serious. If you haven't heard about that whole thing, look that up, but that already exists. You know, it's hard to get loans sometimes just in general Mm -hmm. to have your capital to start your business. But for us in particular, you know, because there, unfortunately, those biases exist, especially in that world, you know, where all of those stereotypes come up. It's like, I'm not about to give you a loan. Exactly. But it's like, but I'm trying to do the thing that you guys always say, lift myself (laughs) up. You know what I mean? I'm trying to start a business. I'm trying to you know, face challenges. So, And, you know, um, for the Black community, we a lot of times are marginalized mm-hmm. and, again, separated from some of the pockets of society that has access to these resources. And so right. us being a marginalized group, there has to be a targeted intent to provide these resources to right. the Black community. And so we're working on that now. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. But um, as we continue to fight for advocacy and as we continue to fight for that representation, and as we continue to encourage more Black entrepreneurs to 
do what they do and really try to be successful in the way that they feel that they can be successful and continue to grow and develop, we'll start having that change and we'll start seeing a shift specifically when it comes to Black people in New Mexico. Yeah. And I think that's incumbent upon allies as well, because you, yes, everyone, you know, has their jobs and they go to work and they're a business professional, right? But outside of that, you're just you. You're Mm -hmm. a human and you have the power to, you know, shift your way of operating and, and a comp, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like reach over those lines to people that are different. You know, if you have the power to do so, Mm -hmm. you're in a position of power to hire someone that's black or, uh, to give that loan or something like that, that needs to, I feel like that needs to be a thought just on a, a human level. You know what I mean? First. Yeah. Um, and we forget like, these are just, it's, you know, somebody's aunt Mary in that Mm -hmm. position at the bank. But it's incumbent upon people who are listening to this to say, oh, yeah, I am in a place of power where I can make a difference for Mm -hmm. this community. So I think that has to be recognized as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think um, that shift in mindset and understanding if you are in a position of power and you are privileged in Mm -hmm. that position, your studying and your understanding of history, specifically when it comes to American history in general, but also mm-hmm. more um, specific black history in New Mexico, as you have a holistic understanding of that, then you'll start to hopefully naturally shift your mindset into understanding, okay, if I'm a privileged person in this position, let me start looking at how to provide an equitable opportunity for the black community yeah. versus equal and saying, yeah. well, you know, we did all this stuff. We had all these things that help us to be on top. Now we're at the same spot. Like, no, it doesn't nah, work fam. like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to get into one of the resources for Black-owned businesses, I'd like to, again, highlight the Economic Development Department for the miniseries that they're putting on yeah. specifically to help Black-owned businesses, as well as our office's own um, Chazel Wins is going to provide more resources in regards to helping Black-owned businesses to uh, legitimize, to understand how to find resources, providing more accessibility to resources, and just overall improve the knowledge area of being an entrepreneur. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Big ups to y'all. Oh, yeah. You know, we're, <laughs> we're making strides, you know, yes. slowly but surely. Absolutely. Um, but one of the reasons why we are where we are right now, specifically when it comes to not only black employment, but also black owned businesses is the lack of support and the lack of opportunities for the youth in New Mexico. Mm. If I think about how much, like I, I know you were in Texas, Mm -hmm. right. You know, for your childhood, but I was here, I've been here since I was seven. And I really think about, you know, coming up and I have to acknowledge my privilege in this Mm-hmm. You know, being a, a lighter skinned black female, yeah. I know like there's privilege in that. Right. Mm-hmm. But even still, I, you know, can observe and growing up, that was always very apparent that black youth just didn't have the same opportunities presented to them. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, not the same opportunities and then lots of obstacles yeah. <laughs> along the way too so yeah and I you know um I did grow up in Texas but I think we had similar experiences Mm -hmm. 
and the lack of opportunity and lack of access to education yeah. when it came to employment and, Absolutely. you know, financial literacy and mm-hmm. all those basic things that should be, in my opinion, basic knowledge that's taught in public schools and right. taught as a foundational part of living in society. Yeah. That would be too much like right, <laughs> as my grandma used to say. <laughs> mm. But yeah, no, like it's, that's definitely a problem, you know, when it starts that young mm-hmm. to where you're shut out of opportunities from that young of an age. Yeah, And so I think that is an important aspect to address, you know, from like, how do we provide our youth with more opportunities mm-hmm. to do to allow them the space to do what it is they want to do and become what they want to become. Oh yeah. You know, like, isn't that, that's the American dream, but that's every child's dream. Like, you know, we always ask kids, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What Mm -hmm. do you want to do? You know? And, um, some children's dreams shouldn't be like shut down more than others. Oh yeah. I think that just sounds super terrible and sad. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, you know, um, I was blessed enough to, work hard and become a basketball player and have the opportunities that I have. But I was interested in cars and I was interested Mm -hmm. in mechanics. And um, I know I used to tell my dad, hey, can we go to a junkyard so I can mess around with the cars? I can try to build something. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm just a little kid. I don't know any better, but that's a dream. And, you know, uh, my dad's like, no, that's not really realistic for you to get into or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I have other plans for you or I just don't have the time. It's just all these different, again, like you said, obstacles that are put into place. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I could have been a really great engineer possibly, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or I could have done something different because I was passionate about it. Not that I wasn't passionate about basketball, but um, there's so many kids who deal with some of the similar things that Mm -hmm. I dealt with in the sense of, having something that they're passionate about or something that they want to do that's against what's stereotypical for them. what society wants for you, essentially. And that's interesting that you said your dad said those things, but it's almost like, you know, society was saying those things vicariously through your dad. Mm -hmm. This is what society does to Black people that try to be engineers and yeah. this is you know and he's like this is more reasonable son out of love of course oh yeah but that didn't escape him mm-hmm. you know and then he passed that to you essentially yeah. so and that and that happens so often much more often than than we probably think oh yeah definitely and i think you know as we continue to grow and understand and have more access to information as a society mm-hmm. we are slowly starting to shift again, in our um, thought processes and the way that we perceive what has been deemed right by society. And we're now challenging all these different things like, oh, just because you're black doesn't mean you can't be an entrepreneur. Right. You can't be in a leadership position. Absolutely. You can't be whatever you want to be. Ultimately, I mean, Black people are not a monolith, so we don't all think the same. Absolutely. But I think we all can agree upon the fact that there's an element to this where we got to step up and we got to like, yes, we do have to work twice as hard. Oh, yeah. But we're going to, you know, we're highly capable. We're strong people. And we can do that work to to 
create generational wealth and to, you know what I mean? And to Mm -hmm. create these businesses and be entrepreneurs so that um, we can elevate ourselves to a certain extent. We do have all of these obstacles and all these things against us, but that's, that's been always, we always been dealing with it and still glowing. You know what I mean? So, um, so we, you know, have to encourage each other, you know, Mm -hmm. I think to really pursue something if that's really what we want you know to really really pursue that and and support each other when we do oh yeah definitely and I think you know as we continue to have all these challenges and have all these obstacles and go against the grain Mm -hmm. that's gonna essentially refine us and make us deeper whenever we get to what we want to get to versus you know having other people who might be privileged and spoon-fed their way to Mm -hmm. Those positions. And, and then so. they're the ones looking over the resumes talking about Shaniqua. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't have that. Yeah. You know, and like, how do we shift that? Shaniqua is the one going over the resumes, okay? Mm-hmm. Boo, like, she is the boss. Exactly. Like, Shaniqua is hiring, okay? Yeah, <laughs> so, nah, definitely. And I think, I love again, it. just off of our history, yeah. there's just something deep about the trials, tribulations, and hardships that we went through as a people that just provides us with a competitive edge or, you know, not even a competitive edge, but just a unique uh, set of uh, Mm -hmm. skills and attributes that could make us have an advantage or could provide us with more of an insight in order to do the job that we're needing to do yeah, or to be where we want to be. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we're definitely uh, continuing to shift what we're doing and the way that we're perceived in New Mexico. And one of the biggest issues, not only when it comes to youth having the lack of resources allocated, but being discriminated against just for your hairstyle. Your hair. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's so, it sounds so silly when we say it, right? Because it's just like, it's our hair, but there's so much hate that we Mm -hmm. encounter. And I don't think that people realize that it's, so prevalent, especially in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be in Smith's <laughs> and a lady will reach up and touch my hair. And like, that's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't feel good. I'm not really cool with you val- violating my boundaries like that. Yeah. But then, you know, imagine that happening in a different mm-hmm. setting like work. Yeah. And it does like all the time. If you even get to the workplace, yeah. right? Without them discriminating against you or like they didn't bring you in in the first place because mm-hmm. you had locks or you had twists. Oh, or yeah. You had, you know, you rocking the fro. Yeah. Like, uh, I get so frustrated. I just oh, yeah. think about those times when I've really been in professional settings where they'll tell me like, you should straighten your hair. Mm-hmm. You know, you should, you should do this. That's more appealing and yeah. that's more acceptable. It makes me more comfortable. It's, it's disturbing actually. Oh yeah, it definitely is. And, why do I have to make you comfortable just because I'm being myself? Right. Why do I have to look like a thug just mm-hmm. because I have dreads and, you know, that's a protective style and that's the way I want to naturally wear my hair. Right. But because it makes you uncomfortable because it's not clean cut, like, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that definition is that you labeled it as. Right. Because you can have a clean cut and still have dreads. Absolutely. And have other hairstyles. And it's not just for black people, but... You know, it's for uh, Latin, Latin, Latinx community yeah. for sure. It's for Native American community, Absolutely. all these different communities of color, 
that are being discriminated against just because we have certain ways that yeah. we want to wear our hairstyles or that, you know, that's part of our tradition or yeah. a part of our culture. And, you know, to continue to be criticized and um, having different opportunities revoked just because of your hairstyle. Mm. Like, how ridiculous is that? I mean, because we be shining. <laughs> like, <laughs> the braids mm. be looking fresh. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. we shine. And it goes back into history when they, you know, um, in slavery, when they, they would make us cover our crown. Mm-hmm. They would make us cover our hair because it was just like, nah. Like, you can't be walking around looking that fresh. Oh, looking yeah. that, you know, it's a way to to push us down obviously to to separate us from each other from mm-hmm. connecting to each other in our history and, and our roots and and that's present today you know and we see it all too often you know in the workplace so yeah definitely and speaking of crown mm-hmm. you know um there is the fact that the crown act that's out there yeah um and it's essentially looking to address some of the underlying issues and the systemic issues that Mm -hmm. go on specifically when it comes to hair. I know um, in California, they have passed something along those lines and everything. And, you know, um, I definitely think it's something that um, whenever you have the opportunity to educate yourself on, to look into, I understand that they're looking to bring a crown act here to New Mexico. And so just um, one of the ways you can look at it is uh, under going to nmlegis.gov and looking at the different interim interim committees, and I'm sure that it'll show up on there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that this day and age has taught us to, like, if we really care about something, like, look it up, research it, Mm -hmm. and figure out how you can do your part. That is one thing that I'm loving about Instagram right Mm -hmm. now is, like, there's all these people that are mining this information. So Mm -hmm. it really is out there. There's you know, people that are activists that are doing the work to uncover and put these petitions out there and put the the number to that, you know, mm-hmm. legislator that you can call. I love that. Oh, yeah. I'm like, double tap. Yes. Yeah. Activism. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> and, you know, continue to, again, there should be no excuse for you not being able to understand just because you didn't do the research. Yeah. As you do the research and you continue to navigate see credible sites and look at a holistic view of it, Mm -hmm. then you'll begin to understand and you'll begin to grow and develop. And, you know, that's not only helping you out, but that's you doing your due diligence to help out your society and educating yourself and understanding all the things that are going on, again, from a holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. Especially for our Black family out here. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know, we got to be the change that we want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. Somebody famous said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But yes, um, I guess we come to the part where we're going to go to a break real quick and hear from our sponsors. And thank you all for listening. Thank you to our sponsors. Here they are. We'll be right back. Since 1912, Loveless Health System has been committed to meeting the growing healthcare needs of the Albuquerque community. They're invested in bringing people, providers, and technology together to ensure patients receive the best care possible. The vision of African American Student Services, AFRO, is to cultivate Black excellence on the university campus through educational discourse, leadership development, holistic health, wellness practice, and community engagement. 
The African American Student Services Program at UNM provides culturally relevant programs designed to assist primarily African American black students in making a confident transition and successful adjustment to the University of New Mexico. And we're back. Thank you once again to all of our wonderful sponsors, everyone who works so hard to make this podcast possible. We love you. We appreciate you. And we can't say that enough. So next we have a guest who's going to be coming on. This is someone who like, I feel so bad because after learning about all of his accomplishments and his stories, I didn't know about this person. And I, and now I'm knowing what he has accomplished and the position that he's in and how he's worked to elevate other folks in the community. So our guest that we're about to hear from is Denzel Ross, and he is the interim CEO of Loveless Hospitals. Um, my name is Denzel Ross. I am an administrator at Loveless Medical Center. I'm the chief operating officer. I'm an administrator for the Heart Hospital of New Mexico. And I'm here to engage in conversation uh, and hopefully lend some insights that um, our listeners may not have had the opportunity to think about and hopefully give a, a another side to the story. Perfect. Thank you. And just to get started, how did you get to where you are right now? Well, um, it, 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 it took a lot of mistakes. It took a lot of people who were interested in my best interests. Uh, it took a lot of people who allowed me to fail, and it took a lot of me learning from other people's mistakes. Uh, I started my career in Kansas City, uh, fresh out of college for my master's, uh, so I was blessed to start at a pretty young age, and I started my career at Truman Medical Centers in Kansas City, working for John Bluford, who was the CEO there at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I spent about six years there, seven years there at uh, Truman Medical Centers. And each year, almost each year and a half, was a different role with a different responsibility. And what came with that was a different opportunity to learn and grow and do something different and stretch myself. After leaving Truman, I joined HCA uh, in the executive development program at Overland Park Regional Medical Center in Kansas. I was there for about two years before then taking the COO and ethics and compliance officer role in San Antonio at Metropolitan Methodist Hospital. Uh, I was there for about another two years before this opportunity here in Albuquerque was shared with me. And I thought it was a great opportunity uh, to serve a, a great community, uh, to do some really great things. And so um, January of 21 would actually make it two years that I've been in my role here in Albuquerque at Loveless Medical Center. That's wow. beautiful. Congratulations. And that's uh, an amazing story just to see all the things that you went through and to see where you're at now. And what is it like being in that position, being a black man in that position of um, leadership? It's definitely, it's tough. It's tough. And I think one of the things that I've been blessed with is that uh, along my career, I've just been blessed 
to be placed in the right place at the right time. And I always tell people, you know, preparation and a little bit of luck and, you know, praying parents has kind of helped me work through a lot of tough times. Uh, being a black man in healthcare in a role like this is definitely tough because you don't see a lot of people of color mm-hmm. uh, in healthcare as as it stands. And then when you get into healthcare from an administrative level, there's not a lot of people of color there. And so what what makes it difficult is, you know, I have to, I would say I have to work a little bit harder to. Uh, you know, even dating back to college, I was always out of the mindset that, you know, when I played basketball, I got to be the first one in the gym and the last one to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's kind of the way I see it. You know, I've always had to work a little bit hard. I've always had to take on the role that nobody else would. I've always had to uh, challenge myself to, to prove myself because I needed to go the extra step because I purely wasn't being looked at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to have my work speak for me. And so I had to go the extra mile and do more, Uh, which uh, as I look back, I think at the time that I was going through it, I was upset about it and and questioned why why am I doing all this extra work? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think looking back now, I could definitely say that it has worked in my favor every time. And I'm happy I had the people around me that would challenge me and push me to do so. Uh, but it's it's tough. It can be difficult. But, you know, you, you live and you learn along the way. And uh, you learn to, to build relationships with people of color and people who are, are not of color, who don't look like you. And you, you find people along the way that are there that you can talk to, ask questions to, and who are genuinely interested in my well-being and my interests. Uh, and you know that they will give you not the answer that you, you want to hear, but the answer that you need to hear that would help you find yourself in the best positions. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. I think it's important for us to to speak to so many young folks that are listening and have aspirations to become a successful part of the, the business world here in New Mexico. What would you say specifically to young people? that are in that position, especially in the times that we're living in with the civil rights movement and COVID and all the other big things that are happening. Um, what, what words of advice would you give to those youth? Well, I will give them the same advice that I was uh, given uh, because I, I find that advice to be timeless. One of the first um, things that I learned was that, uh, you know, you, you have to find a mentor. Um, when I was, finishing up college and I wanted to be a healthcare administrator. Um, I didn't know any healthcare administrators. I didn't know a healthcare executives. And so I had to work to find myself a mentor who was in the field that I could ask what people may say, Hey, that was a stupid question or, or you should have known that. Um, but I had a mentor who was open and willing to share with me and, just by sitting and having conversations with him, I learned so much before I even stepped onto the job. And so even outside of the job, I learned so much from, from him. You know, he, he taught me things about how to prepare my resume, uh, how to make that look appealing to institutions and people who would be hiring. He taught me life lessons. And, and so, you know, he really helped set me on the path that I, I got onto. And so find a mentor, find someone 
that you, you could learn to trust and know that they have your best interests at heart. And so I would say that would be the first thing. The second piece of advice that I was given when I started my career at Truman, working for John Bluford, he says he said something really short. And at first, you know, I was a little bit confused by it. And he said, you need to be a sponge. Mm. I said, what? He said, yeah, you heard me correctly. Be a sponge. And so I, I left that that one-on-one meeting that day and just really thought about what does it mean to be a sponge. And I was the type of person that, did, well, this will tell you the type of person I am. I went and I looked up the definition of a sponge. <laughs> right? And I said, okay, I know what a sponge is, but what does it mean for me to be a sponge? And one of the things that, you know, I found was a sponge tends to take, uh, absorb the content of any environment that it's in. Mm. And what that meant for me was I started asking to be in meetings, meetings that I would have no input in, meetings that things would typically fly right over my head because I I didn't know the acronyms. I didn't know what they were talking about. It was medical terminology. It didn't make sense to me. But I asked to be in those meetings and be on a fly on the wall and be a sponge. And I started taking notes and I just started absorbing the conversation that was happening around me. And the more and more I did that, the more and more I learned and I grew to the point where, you know, within the first couple of years of my starting my career at Truman Medical Center, I had worked and been part of so many different departments, clinical and non-clinical, even though I don't have a clinical background, I now found myself in meetings where I was adding value and I was part of the conversation because I had been there before and I learned what the topic was and I learned what we were talking about and I learned what was important at that time. And it just allowed me to learn and grow. So I would challenge you guys, uh, folks who want to find themselves in leadership roles, you know, to be a sponge, Mm -hmm. say yes to that job that Mm -hmm. at first may not look like the glamorous one. I took a few of those jobs, uh, one job in particular, uh, I remember talking to my COO, uh, my CEO, John Fluford at the time, and he said, I want you to be my night administrator. Mm. And my face said, yes, I would love to be your night administrator. But my head said, Man, I don't want to work nights. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. I took the job. And even up to uh, here recently when I interviewed, it's one of the two positions that people always ask me about because it's such a unique path for somebody in this role to have gone through. And so, you know, that all came from me saying yes, being a sponge, listening, learning and growing, educating myself, studying, doing my research, uh, and then saying yes, saying yes to opportunities that you may look and say, you know, that's not what I want to do. But if it doesn't take you off your path of your career, Say yes to it and mm-hmm. go and learn and use it as a stepping stone to something bigger. And so I think those, that would be the three you know, pieces of advice I would share with our listeners who are wanting to make the path uh, their career into an executive leadership role, whether it's in healthcare or uh, it doesn't matter what field that you're in. Yeah, that's amazing advice, Denzel. Thank you so much. I think there are going to be a lot of young people that feel really inspired by that oh yeah definitely and i think that's something even as you get older and Mm -hmm. even if you're 
a tenure individual in a position or in already in a leadership. I think that's yeah. very good advice to have and to continue to educate, continue to grow and continue to learn because you yeah. nobody ever knows everything. No, you can always learn more. Mm-hmm. You can always yeah. grow. And so thank you again for coming on the show and thank you again for providing your insight and everything that you've done to uh, make all this possible. We really appreciate you. No, I appreciate you guys too and taking the lead and and being out there and uh, having these conversations and putting out uh, material like you guys are. uh, It's so needed. And so I appreciate you guys doing the work. Of course. Thank you. Well, we'll be in touch. Thank you again. And, um, have a great rest of your night. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, um, yeah, we appreciate Denzel for coming on. He provided a lot of great insight, especially when it comes to these aspiring professionals trying to get into these leadership positions. Definitely. To be the COO at Loveless, I mean, that's takes amazing uh, hard work and dedication and mm-hmm. commitment and I love what he said about just being a sponge. I feel like that's good advice for everyone. Oh, just yeah. always learning and always taking in as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. And I can also resonate with him just touching on the nitty and gritty part of mm-hmm. getting to where he is. Yeah. And so putting in those hard works of hours, really um, doing some of the things that he didn't necessarily want to do. Yeah. But knowing that... uh when you do those things and when you put in the extra effort and when you go the extra mile that Mm -hmm. it pays off in the long run. And so him providing that testament, me being a basketball player, I can resonate with being the first one in the gym, last one out getting up extra shots. And so, yeah, yeah, that analogy definitely resonated with me. And um, I still like him use those practices in my practice today. Yeah, me too. I think that's, that's amazing advice that he gave every mm-hmm. word. So, And just to add on to that, one of the things that I want to also tell um, young aspiring professionals is whenever you're in any line of work, you have to stay hungry. That was something my coach told me when I was in high school, that the moment that you stop being hungry for what you want, that's when you're pretty much giving up on it and you're quitting on your dreams. Yeah. Absolutely. You really want something bad enough. You got to gotta really, really go for it. And mm-hmm. for us, like really, really going for it is like, you know, like we got to do life like the Olympics. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Like, exactly. You got to yeah. train. You got to exactly. research. You know, you, yeah. you got to rest. Yeah, you got to you know, rest. Self-care. Um, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And for so sure. um, last thing, just to make sure that you're continuing to keep up with the different bills and legislation that are going through. Um, We have our uh, regular long session coming up in January. So as you continue to get a better hold and understanding of legislation and how it works, go to nmlegis.gov to get up-to-date information. And just to give you some highlights of some bills that are out now, you have the Small Business Recovery Act. That's helping Black-owned businesses that have been highly affected by COVID-19. You also have uh, House Bill 4 that talks about ethics, specifically when it comes to different government agencies. And so um, if you have a situation or 
your understanding of a situation where there's um, some ethical issues that are going on, make sure you, again, reference that bill. And, uh, again, go to nmledges.gov to get the latest up-to-date information on interim committees, bills that come out, et cetera. Yep. Well... Does that wrap us? (laughs) Except for the glow, of course. Make sure you stick around for that and make sure to like, follow, share, of course. Uh, You can find this podcast everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's a platform for everybody. (laughs) No excuses. (laughs) Support. And we thank you for listening and supporting us. And once again, we thank our sponsors and a big, big thank you to Denzel from Loveless for helping to make this podcast possible. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you. Re-educated, brought to you by the New Mexico State Office of African American Affairs, aimed to study, identify, and provide change by means of support, advocacy, and resources relevant to the African American community. As a reminder, every voice matters. Make sure you are counted in the 2020 census. The Office of Equity and Inclusion was established by Mayor Tim Keller in 2018. The vision of the office is to inspire and equip city governments to make Albuquerque a national role model of racial equity and social justice. The office is responsible for dismantling systemic barriers to achieve racial, gender, health, and socioeconomic equality. Michelle Melendez is the inaugural director of the Office of Equity and Inclusion. In September, Melendez was instrumental in passing R2075, legislation that strengthens and reaffirms the city's commitment to addressing racial equity and social justice. The resolution calls on the city to support the startup and growth of businesses owned by people of color, women, racial equity assessments for the city department, and requires equity training for the city council leadership and administration. Our very last segment is The Glow, where we'll be highlighting individuals and organizations doing great work in our community. For this edition of The Glow, we'd like to highlight a young lady that goes by the name of Destiny Archibald. Destiny has a 3.84 GPA. She's also part of the National Honor Society while also putting in the work to start a BSU and is co-president at a predominantly white private school. She's also editor of the newspaper at the school, along with being a five-year letterman and captain of the varsity basketball team. She was selected to attend and represent her school at the National Student Diversity and Leadership Council, along with plans on attending Howard University. Her example of Black youth leadership is the reason why we highlighted her on this edition of The Glow. We'd also like to give a special thank you to our post-production partner, Better Sense. Powered by nearly a decade of audio and production experience, Better Sense exists to help you create your life-changing projects. Go to bttrsnc.com in order to explore how you can awaken the potential of your musical ideas. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, Reeducated. We hope you were able to rethink, relearn, and get re-educated on some really important topics. Make sure to visit us at our website, oaaa.state.nm.us. See you next time.